Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Red Sox spring training and hot stove edition of the podcast. We are basically, we've had three games so far uh, in spring training, a win against Northeastern, a loss to the Orioles, and then today a, um, a pretty statement win against the Twins, thanks to Rafi Devers, mostly. But uh, Lucas Giolito, decent. We'll be getting into all of that. Uh, also, Cody Bellinger has come off the market. He will stay with the Cubs on a kind of a wonky three-year deal with opt-outs and a bunch of stuff. What's notable about that is, as I fix my audio here, uh, what's notable about that is Boris is Bellinger's agent and also is the agent for Jordan Montgomery, Blake Snell, Matt Chapman, who's still lingering out there. So we'll be getting into it. I am Terry Cushman. With me tonight, Jason Kelly, Charlie Smith. How are you guys? Not bad. Can't complain. Just kind of waiting for some meaningful baseball, you know. Spring training games are fun and all, but uh, after a while, it's like, okay, I, I want the real thing. Yeah, second. Here, here to that. Uh, always nice, though, to um, win a, a proper game against a formidable foe like the Atlanta Braves today. So uh, very happy about today's results. I'll say, you know, it is nice to, you know, see – people back on the field, players back on the field, all that. And, you know, there was some curiosity today with Giolito. Not impressed that he took Martin Perez's number. You know, I just feel like, oh, that's a Bloom era number. Let's stay off of that for a little while. Let's get the stank off of it. Uh, But that's what he picked. Um, But yeah, so just kind of, you know, your kind of curiosity about certain things, you know, what's what's the velocity for this guy? Apparently Tanner Houck is up. He's the most notable uptick of all the guys. So kind of kind of, you know, fulfilling my curiosity as far as that goes. But I'm I'm not going to lie. I'm like not. I'm still like. I still don't feel good. You know, I haven't had baseball fever one time this winter. I haven't been amped up like how many days till opening day. I just I need to see a finished product or I need to tell me that this is the the finished product. You know, we we knew last year when when Kluber got signed, we knew that was it. That was the deal. You weren't getting anything else uh, pitching wise. So um, I, I just need to. I just need closure, you know, that this is it or we're going hard after Montgomery and then, you know, I'll get into whatever my rhythm is going to be. I just don't know what that is. But uh, let's start off with Jason. So what's what's your biggest takeaway in the last three days? I think for me, it's it's kind of all about Rafael Devers. And, you know, today's game against the Twins was certainly a statement from him, as you said. Um, but it started, you know, the beginning of spring training where he made those comments calling out the ownership in the front office and really calling them out saying, look, you know, things have to change around here because we're sick of losing. We want to actually compete this year. We finished last place two years in a row. That's not good enough. And things need to change. And I'm glad that he said it. I think it has to be him who says it because now that Chris Sale is gone, now that a lot of, you know, those holdovers from, the World Series team are gone. They do need a new leader. They need a face of the team, and it has to be Rafael Devers. It can't be Trevor Story. He hasn't been here long enough. He's been injured for the most part. It can't be any of the young guys because they're not ready. You know, I'm sure a lot of people look at Tristan Casas as maybe a guy who in the future could take on that role, but he's still too young. Um, he's more of just you look at him as your future, but you don't want to put the the role of leader on him right away. That's, that's too much pressure for a young kid. Um, it has to be Raphael Devers. He's in the first year of his mega deal, you know, a 10 year contract worth 330 million. So he has, you know, that sort of bulletproof mentality of, yeah, I'm going to speak my mind. Cause what are you going to do? Trade me? You're not going to trade me. You just signed me to a 10 year deal. And he's sitting there saying, look, you know, things need to change around here. You want to trade me fine. Cause this isn't what I sign up for. 
I didn't sign up to finish in last place every year. So things need to change. And I thought starting his spring training with that and then backing it up by going out there today, hitting an oppo bomb in his second at bat, playing good defense at third base. I mean, look, it, it was a small little play in spring, but little dribbler down to third. And Merloni on the broadcast sort of pointed out, like he took a very good route to the ball, circled around it, made a good, strong throw. Like it was a professional, smooth play. And let's face it, for Rafi last year, that was a struggle. His defense plummeted last season and plays like that were not routine for him. They were difficult. So already it looks like he's very committed to fixing his defense. The bat hasn't gone anywhere, which is good to see. Showed up in shape, ready to go. I think that's huge for this team because they are going to struggle. They, they will. I mean, you know, they're already kind of doing the whole don't count us out. And yeah, we hear the noise and we're going to use this bulletin board material. That's nice and everything. But at the end of the day, the roster is what it is. They're going to struggle. The AL East got so much better this offseason and they're going to have a hard time with that. So they need Rafael Devers to really take that big monster step forward and sort of claim his place as this is my team. I'm the leader and I'm going to lead by example in the clubhouse to the media and I'm going to do it on the field too. And so look, it's only been a couple of games, but already some very good signs from Rafael Devers. I was very impressed. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to add on to that a little bit. The first thing was huge statement, big three run bomb opposite field. No doubter. I don't think anyone thought off the bat that was going to be a flat. It wasn't like one of those Josh Donaldson. I think it's a home run, not a home run situations. Also, I love the fact that he aired it out and he said, listen, this is what we need. We know what we need to do, but there are certain things that I can't say right now. And I think he, he might've been told a couple things beforehand, like, Hey, we know they're going to be asking you certain things. You're cool to mention X, Y, and Z just mention, don't, don't, Please don't mention this one thing. On top of that, he is the face of this team. I don't think there's any question about it as far as anybody else that should be the headline person. Chris Sale isn't there. A lot of the other people who used to play for this team are gone within the last year, year and a half. Sandra Bogarts is gone. It is Rafi Devers and friends. I don't think it's really a question and... and I would really debate that hard with somebody if they're like, oh, well, you know, he's a comp. Really? $300 million complimentary player? This is an Anthony Rendon who who has this, like, wild misconception of what his purpose is in the game after the contract he signed. But the Red Sox have a duty to him after signing him for a $300 million deal for so many reasons. One, there have only been a handful of a handful of $300 million deals. So you, you're now one of those teams that's dished out 300 million. Now, if the things that are supposed to go right, don't go right. The Red Sox don't make any attempts to sign players. The Red Sox don't make a conscious effort to sign a starting pitcher to join Lucas Giolito up there. You, you run the risk of looking like the Colorado Rockies 2.0. Nolan Arenado signed a massive $260 million deal over eight years. Arguably the best third baseman in baseball at the time. One of the best third basemen in baseball right now and probably will continue to be so over the next three, four years. Has one of the best arms still can hit the ball, does not need to reap the benefits of hitting in Colorado. The guy can mash but was traded three years into that deal. I believe three years, the third year of that deal that he signed to St. Louis because Colorado just had no real plan. There was no conscious effort to bring in starting pitchers, bring in proper relievers. You got, you know, Charlie Blackman. You had uh, Nolan Arenado was there. Trevor Story was there. Now he's here. There were a couple of other you know, complimentary pieces, but there wasn't really a co like a proper collective group of players that could do damage. Like that was one of our old slogans: "Do damage." Last year in Boston, before Trevor uh, Tristan Casas lit up, you had Rafi Devers, and that was basically it. You couldn't count on Verdugo. 
there are a lot of players that you were hoping that you could count on. M Masa, I, I, I shouldn't say that. Masa, Masa Tanaka, or uh, Yoshida, excuse me. <laughs> Yoshida was one person. I did that again. It's the second time I've done that. Masa Taka Yoshida, yeah. yeah. Yoshida was the player who you could count on for the start of the season and then slowed down. And, and it could have been because of injury. It might not have been. We lost Justin Turner. Justin Turner didn't come back after this year. He's being paid, I believe, $6.7 this year to not play. So you have a financial obligation to one player. In addition to that, you have a financial obligation to continue putting a proper team around him. Because if you just spend $300 million for one player and you put nothing else on the field, especially in that starting rotation, not only do you look stupid once for giving out a third million dollar deal, you're going to look stupid twice because what was the point of that? To just be a, a, a team that dished out 300 plus million for a player that is, is worth it, who you possibly could have gotten for less money. But I mean, what, what's the end goal? And we found out early this year, there wasn't a plan. So it's going to be up to players and, and by players, I mean player, Rafi Devers, to speak very candidly, very openly, very honestly about what's working, what's not, and ultimately what needs to be done. You guys make some interesting points here. And Devers has been around for a while now. I mean, this is his age 26 season, I think, maybe age 27. I don't have it up in front of me. But... He debuted in 2017. That's almost seven years ago. 20 years old is when this kid debuted. And he had some decent moments in that brief series against the Astros in the playoffs that year. He had an inside the park home run. Um, you know, and his playoff numbers have been good in a small sample size. And, and he's been Mr. Clutch. Ever since he hit that home run off of Aroldis Chapman in Yankee Stadium, he's been super clutch. Like, I'm seeing without the elite defense, so I, I have to put that out there as a qualifier. Without the elite defense, I, I still see an Adrian Beltre-type personality-type presence you know, evolving in that Red Sox clubhouse. And, you know, there'll be a lot of David Ortiz comparisons too because Ortiz, super clutch. But that's that's who I see Devers, you know, evolving into now. And he is the leader of the team. So I just, it's nice to see. And I, I like the the sharp comments that he he made against the Red Sox front office. And I, I hate to give the Red Sox a little bit of credit for this because it, it, it's kind of by accident, but that Mookie deal wouldn't have aged well. And he had a great season last year, you know, an MVP caliber season. Not so much in the playoffs. He was O for whatever it was. <laughs> o for 14 or 15, I think. They got swept by the Diamondbacks. But you look at the Xander deal, that's probably going to be one of the worst contracts of all time. And so they they picked the right guy. They picked the right guy to, to give that mega deal to. And my big observation with Devers today, aside from the opposite field bomb that he hit, the dude's in shape. He didn't take his $311 million and go straight to the buffet. You know, he's not doing stupid crap. He's being very professional, and and I love to see it. He's probably my favorite player. You know, I know I kind of made fun of Costas at times last year. I really like Costas, and I hope that trend continues, and I hope he becomes one of my favorite players. But, man... I love Rafi Devers, and I, I love the presence that, that we're starting to see. Charlie? Yeah, real quick. I think you, you'll probably be able to get away with touching Rafi Devers' head. You could do that with Adrian Beltre. No, he would. You're going to see a major uptick in power, though, from, with Rafi Devers from Adrian Beltre. Beltre was a little bit older when he came to Boston. You, you look at Devers. Devers still looks like a kid. 
he still looks like a child. He's going to look this way for a really, really long time, except, you know, with a puffy cheek because he's always got stuff in his mouth. But uh, this is a guy that I, I truly do believe could hit 40 home runs on a regular basis in a couple of years, you know, a la Adam Dunn, except 40 homers, 120, maybe a little bit more, who knows? And playing the hot corner adds a little extra value. I mean, I really, really don't want to see him go anywhere. I want to see this man finish and play out his entire career as a member of the Boston Red Sox. Anything short of his entire career in Boston would be a miss. It would be a huge miss. And keep in mind, too, that, you know, being 27 years old now, you know, he's entering his prime power years. That's that's really where that happens. Once you get to 27, 28, 29 years old, that's where the real power comes. So Charlie could be right. He could be headed for 40 home runs this year. It would not shock me at all. Well, I mean, the potential is there, but they have to get a right-handed bat to to hit behind him. If it's Trevor Story, Devers, he'll probably lead the league in walks maybe, but uh, he's not going to have as many opportunities. They need a real power threat in there. And I guess if it's if it's a righty on the mound, you you could put Dever uh, you could put Casas after him, but I just feel like you're going to get shut down in the 7th, 8th and ninth innings when they go lefty heavy in that part of the rotation. So I, I there's never going to be a scenario where I'm, I'm going to love Devers and, and Casas. I, I really do feel like they could have a Manny Ramirez, David Ortiz type presence, but it's never going to be back to back, you know, cause Manny was a right-handed bat and they, they could slot right. them three and four, but so we'll, T. we'll see what happens. Two years. Two years before we can talk about the David Manny comparison, like having that one it is because I don't think it's fair to put that kind of pressure on these two yet. Yet. Twenty six years old. I mean, very, very, very few players in major league baseball can absolutely dominate in their early to mid twenties. And I'm gonna say that Devers has done a damn good job of dominating with the pieces that have been put around him because He's hit 30-plus home runs three times in his career, including last year. Obviously, you don't count 2020 because we didn't play a full season, but he did it in 2019. He did it the year after 2020 in COVID. He didn't play, you know, obviously every single game in 2022, but I think he could have probably had 30 home runs that season too had he played more than 145 games. So it's not a far cry. I mean, I, people are people will say, ah, he's just not quite like a 41-10, 41-20. I really do think that Devers can be that guy for six or seven years and hit 40-plus homers barring injury and finish his career with 450 to 500 home runs. I really, really do think he can do it. I mean, the guy has the ability to hit home runs. He, he gets it. And I, I don't think it's that crazy to think that you'll see an uptick in walks if he can you know, bring that plate discipline up even a hair – because you've seen certain numbers take a dip and then start to go back up, dip, go back up. But the power is there. There's no question about it. The guy's capable of 50 doubles in a season. The guy's capable of 35, 40 home runs in a season. Can can easily crack over 110 RBIs. If you get another big bat on this team, 40 homers, 117, 120 RBIs, 280-290, not impossible for him to have 200 hits because he's done it before, 50 doubles. Dude, the guy could be an MVP candidate, you know, top three, top four MVP candidate every year. Yeah, and with the the Manny-Ortiz comparison, I mean, we're seeing right now that Casas has the clutch gene as well. That's why I'm willing to at least tease it at this point. But you got to get a right-handed bat in there. I, I don't know. I, I mean... Maybe Tyler O'Neill. I think that's a huge reach, though. I don't. I don't. <laughs> and then Rafaela is your young righty, but he seems like he's a ways out. He he's going to have to get a lot of at bats, and it sounds like that is what the priority is, uh, based on a Cora quote uh, this weekend. Like he needs the biggest sample size, the most reps to to really figure out where he's at, because apparently. The pitch recognition with him still isn't where they want it to be. So they need to get that figured out. 
Uh, let's get into pitching. What'd you think about Giolito today? Only one punch out, but he didn't give up a hit. Uh, one walk. That was the only base runner. Charlie, go ahead. Honest to God, breath of fresh air. Because there has been so much that has not worked out as far as starting pitchers that have come into Boston. I was so happy to see zero with R, zero with ER. I'm totally cool with the fact that Homie only got one strikeout, only allowed a walk. You did against the Twins. Twins aren't a crap team. They're not the worst team in Major League Baseball. Would have been nicer to see that against the, the Braves? Sure. But you know what? I'm really happy considering how bad 2023 went for him. This was the exact opposite of what last year went. I know it was two innings, and maybe the third inning he would have gotten absolutely blown out. But you know what? I'm, I'm totally happy about it. I thought that this was going to be one of the smartest signings the Boston Red Sox could make if they got it done. Whether it be two years, whether it be three years, it does not matter. Lucas Giolito is the prime candidate for comeback player of the year. If he could do stuff like this all season long, I'm super pumped. Charlie, you got a slight static. If you could just, yeah. Um, and then to add on that and to kind of reaffirm what Charlie said, uh, you know, I was also saying this deal with Giolito could be the steal of the off season if it, if it panned out. And I was a lot more optimistic about the Breslow era when, when I was, uh, you know, giving that quote. So we'll see what happens. But Jason, what, what are you, were your thoughts on Giolito? Yeah, I mean, it was only a quick look, so it's hard to glean too much from two innings in a February game against a Twins lineup that I, I think is okay, but he wasn't facing, you know, he didn't face look like, like uh, what Brian Bayo faced today, where Bayo took on Acuna, Albies, Matt Olson. You know, he had the actual, like, full force of the Atlanta Braves in front of him. Um, Giolito, you know, against that the Twins lineup today, had a couple of young kids in there, um, you know, Trevor Larnack trying to work his way back, so... Um, not a huge, huge threat there, but he looked good from what I saw. Looked looked pretty solid. Velocity was right where I expected it to be. Um, I do want to see how he looks when he gets further stretched out, when he gets into sort of third and fourth innings, third time through the lineup, that kind of thing. Um, but it's a good start, and I think that he just looks like he's confident. He, he sounds confident, sounds like he's happy that he's here, um, happy that he's getting another shot. Um, so I think he's determined to make the most of it, but um, I do want to see more, you know, as we go through the spring, as he gets further stretched out um, and, you know, seeing him go through the lineup num numerous times um, just to see if he really can get it back on track. But um, I, I never disliked the signing. I thought it was a, a smart, smart thing to take a flyer on a guy like this, who at one point was a top of the rotation kind of arm. Um, obviously, we all know his struggles last year, um, but he seems pretty determined to turn around. So. Uh, if he does that this year with Boston, you know, it's works out great for everybody. The only concern I have is I hope he doesn't end up being like this big head case. Uh, I hope, I hope he's not fighting the mental battle out on the mound uh, more than, you know, the physical part of it, you know, the command and, and location and all that. Um, because Boston, you know, can eat a player up. I mean, we saw it with Daniel Bard, Mark Melanson in a very brief stint uh, had some issues as far as pitching goes. Um, you know, David Price had had his moments where, you know, a bit of a head case, mostly against the Yankees, though. Uh, Nick Pavetta at times it seems like he's battling himself out there. Um, and, and Garrett Whitlock even, uh, you know, who gave up a home run, by the way, to, uh, Adley Rushman, <laughs> at least, you know, an elite bat, but yeah. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm already, I've written off Whitlock already. Um, he's a reliever to me. I think he'll be a very good one, but, but I don't, in terms of durability and I, I think he can be a bit of a head case. I don't think he needs to be out there for five or six innings, just getting knocked around. Just give me 60 innings out of the pen for the year, 70 if, you know, if uh, things are going pretty well. Um, Tanner Houck, I mean, it seems like he's going to win the spot. You're not really, you're not really hearing, uh, you know, they're not talking about 
putting him in the pen, it sounds like. All indications to me are his velocity's up and they really want to give him another hard look for the rotation. A Jordan Montgomery signing will, would change that possibly, but and we'll get into that shortly. But right now at face value, I, I think they're looking at Tanner Houck as a starter. And it makes sense because they, they invested a lot in him, you know, early in his career to kind of mold him into a starter. And, you know, your bullpen is solid. It's not like you need to move him there because your bullpen has holes. You've got a closer. You've got an eighth inning guy. Um, they added a few arms, a couple of those guys they got uh, for the Verdugo deal, uh, one of whom we, we saw today, that uh, Weissert guy. So um, who they, they basically say on the broadcast, he's like the Schreiber replacement. Um, and I can see why. His delivery is very similar kind of has similar stuff. So um, I think their bullpen is solid enough that, yeah, I think they they really want to pour all of their energy into, you know, making sure Tanner Houck rounds into a, into a starter. Um, so we'll, we'll see if they can pull it off. I feel like we have this conversation every year with Tanner Houck, and it just hasn't come to fruition yet. But maybe this is the year it finally does. You're on mute, Charlie. Nope, can't hear you. Maybe you're having audio. Try it now. No. I I'll, I got a thought on it while Charlie resolves that. Um, Hauk had the misfortune of coming up in the Dave Bush era. And so I really want to see what Andrew Bailey can do with him. And Bailey had a very good track record out in San Francisco. You know, Carlos Rodon had his best, the best year of his career under... Andrew Bailey and you know they got some decent innings out of guys like Ross Stripling um Logan Webb is their ace correct I get him mixed up with uh one of the Seattle guys uh but yeah so you know a lot of guys had some success under Bailey and and I think Hauk and really the the rest of the rotation could probably benefit from a guy like Bailey you know based on his record in San Francisco so I'll fix Charlie. Yeah, can you hear me now? Yep. Perfect. Awesome. Right on. Cool. So real, real fast. We we're talking about Relios for a hot second. Everyone everyone remembers Ryan Brazier. Do you guys want to know what Ryan Brazier did today? Uh w- what did he do? He only struck out the side. Okay. You know, just very Red Sox things to have happened to players that leave Boston and then find Jesus or Jason or both. And and then just become one of the best relievers in all of baseball. Uh, I'm very much in the, I want him to be a starter camp. I don't want him to be a reliever and I'm done tinkering with, with certain pitchers. I know briefly I was going to, you know, raise a finger here and say, well, wait a minute, Nick Pavetta. He's been one of the most seesaw pitchers. Some days are really good. And some days are really, really bad. I really hope that, again, 2024 for him is a bounce-back year because, like Lucas Giolito, very few players on the Boston Red Sox need it as much as he does. He really does need a bounce-back. We were talking about even Tristan Costas. Terry, you were saying about how you want him and Rafi Devers to be that one-two punch. Tristan Costas did not start off like gangbusters. And then I think it was was the series, funny enough, I think against the Cubs. He had a home run. Next game, home run. Then he's not in the game. And then in the third game, has a pinch hit home run. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think that was Chicago. I think it was against the Cubs. Could have been. I think it was. Okay. But that was the coming of Jesus moment of Tristan Casas is here. He's ready. And I think you're going to see a huge uptick in ability for him as well. But, you know, back to Hauk for a second. I'm afraid that they will tinker with him and move him to the bullpen when he should not be in the bullpen at all in 2024. If the ex- if the expectation is to bring him out and stretch him out and get him and keep him in the rotation, do not demote him. Do not demote him. I think he'll stay in the in the bullpen. Uh, you know, worst case, I mean, uh, versus sending him down to uh, Worcester. N- nearly said Pawtucket there. But another thing too to kind of keep an eye on, I'm not I'm still not completely sold that 
that Kenley Jansen is going to be on the roster come opening day. And if the Red Sox do sign Montgomery, I think that's going to be an easy way to kind of offset that deal. So somebody's back end of the rotation guy, whether it's the eighth or ninth inning, someone's going to need Tommy John at some point. And I th- I just think that's going to, that will expedite uh, Jansen moving on to uh, another team. Charlie. Oh, real quick. Okay. Jason, because I've not asked you this, your opinion, your hot and cold meter with Kenley Jansen, do you want him here or do you want him gone? Oh, I want him here. I, I mean, I want him here too. Yeah. I, at, I, at all times, I want an established closer in the back end of your bullpen. Um, does he want to be here? Probably not anymore because he openly said he was lied to by the front office about the Red Sox trying to compete. But me as a fan, yeah, of course I want him here. I absolutely want him here, and I don't judge him for wanting to be out because this team is not what the expectation was. There was, uh, I think, a statement or set of statements that were made to him that made him think, okay, cool, Boston could be a fun place to go. It's not like he's making pocket money either. He's making good money to be one of the best closers on what's supposed to be one of the most well-known, competitive, and best teams in baseball. Terry, do you want Kenley Jansen here or do you not want Kenley here? Honestly, I think the bullpen will be very good without Kenley Jansen in it. I think Chris Martin just kind of moves forward. He's the closer. I think Whitlock could be a setup guy. Okay. If Martin prefers the eighth, uh, I'm willing to try Whitlock again in that role. Um, and then presumably, I mean, if, if Jansen goes, then you have Montgomery. Now Houck's situation is, is a little less certain. So, okay. Okay. Probably into the bullpen. So I feel like we're going to have a good bullpen either way. So let's explore this then for a second. Okay. Montgomery does not end up becoming a part of the Boston Red Sox. Kenley Jensen's contract does not need to be shed at the all-star break. Do you trade Kenley Jensen? Well, I mean, if you don't get Montgomery, I think we're going to be trading a lot of guys. <laughs> so there's a lot of people that are getting you, moved. I yeah. think at the deadline, this is going to be one of those guys that does potentially get moved. I really do. And the reason for that being is, do we expect the Boston Red Sox to be a 500 plus team at at the All Star break? I, for one, I'm saying it right now. I don't. Not right now. I don't. I don't see us. I don't see us being 500. I really don't. I, Jason, do you see us being 500? I mean. Potentially. Oh well, okay. So here's oh here's the problem. Here's the problem. If if they're in the cellar by, you know, by the trade deadline, if they're back in last place and they're ten games under five hundred, fine. Yeah, of course you trade Kenley Jansen. What if they're hovering around five hundred? And what if they're only five games out of a wild card spot by the trade deadline? Do you trade right, Kenley you Jansen then? Do you think the Red Sox are going to make up five games in the in, in, for the Wild Card? No, but I'm playing devil's advocate. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, just making sure we're on the same page. Yeah, here. no, no. I, again, we we are that. at the we are at the adults table. We're not at the kids table. I think the Red Sox are going to suck this year. But <laughs> to play devil's advocate, if they're somehow surprising us and they're somehow sniffing a wild card spot by the trade deadline, that makes trading Kenley Jansen a lot harder. Well, it does. Let's look at but this. But it doesn't shy away from the fact that there are some teams that, and I'm sorry, Terry, for cutting no, you off. Go ahead. There are some teams that before 2024 started went out and said, here is my pocketbook. If you look deep down inside, you'll notice it matches and mirrors Mary Poppins' bag. There's endless amounts of money. Ipso facto, insert Los Angeles Dodgers. We'll go get Shohei Otani. We'll go get Yamamoto. We'll go get Teoscar Hernandez. We'll go re-sign a bunch of other guys. And guess what? We're almost at $300 million. The Los Angeles Dodgers, I will be shocked if they don't win 120 games this year. There are going to be more people watching batting practice for the LA Dodgers than some teams will get at a regular game. That's how insane it'll be. Let's not forget that they deferred money out of Teoscar Hernandez's one-year deal. <laughs> That's just how pathetic. Sure. And Shohei. Shohei's making all, uh, million, they, I think, right? They d- deferred all of his money, basically. But uh, but getting back to the trade deadline for the Red Sox, it, if they're hovering, they're sellers. Because that's the mistake they, they made the last couple of years. So I don't think they're going to make that mistake again. 
it, if they're hovering at 500, there's not going to be a lot of confidence and you're going to see a lot of guys get moved. And another could be Lucas Giolito as well, despite the wonky contract. I think they could trade him. I think that they're salivating over that right now, fixing him and then getting a massive haul at the deadline for Giolito. Here's the thing. If you trade Giolito and Kenley Jensen's also gone, if you're Rafi Devers, you're asking which one of the members of the Boston Red Sox wants to help him pack his bags. Because then at no point can you possibly try and sell to Rafi Devers, your $300 million guy, that you are really trying to put a, a competitive, legitimate baseball club on the field. If Lucas Giolito goes and gets his 17 or 18 wins and you flip him, dude, then we're revisiting the whole, should the Boston Red Sox have traded Justin Turner to the Miami Marlins last year? Should the Red Sox have traded Chris Sale last year for those players and negated like all the rest of the money that was owed. He's getting, I think it's like what, 16 or 15, 16, 17 million, something like that. And that's the money that's getting sent to the Braves for Chris sale. And he's not, he's getting paid 17 million to not play for the Boston Red Sox this year. Granted, we did get Grissom back, which I'm super pumped about. I love that addition as well. No complaints coming for me, but if you do make those moves and, and you are not wrong, Terry, you're not wrong. They are salivating over the fact that he signed a two-year, what, $38, $39 million deal. Because if he gets 18 wins, you'd be an idiot not to want to trade him. But on the flip side, if you do something like that, if you're Rafi Devers, what is going through your head? I am never going to win a World Series here. I am never going to play for a team that wins 90 games because they are not serious about the product that they're putting on the field. Only for a year. Well, here's the problem, Charlie. Giolito has, he's got to decide whether whether or not he's going to opt into that second year. So there's no guarantees as far as the Red Sox go. So I absolutely believe they would ship him if they weren't in playoff contention. So Giolito right now, let, let's, let's play it out then. Devil's advocate. Giolito is 9-2 at the All-Star break. Move him. I think so because he's gonna if if he's got a lot of momentum like that he's gonna want to get paid next winter. He's not gonna want to take a chance with that second year of this weird deal that he signed, not play well next year, and then not get the the big deal that he wants. He's not gonna get the you know the two hundred to two hundred fifty million dollar deal we thought he was gonna get a few years ago. Like that's where. We thought his career was trending. So he, he's probably going to end up, you know, around maybe 150 to maybe Aaron Nola type money. I think that's the new best case scenario with with Giolito. But either way, it, it's going to be a lot more substantial than what he signed uh, this year. So we'll see. I, I, oh, it, it really makes me nervous to think that the Red Sox, because if you get rid of him after he's potentially your best starting pitcher, perhaps the best pitcher in 2024. If you sell him, what message do you send to Rafi Devers? What, what is the message? It's going to be bad. It's going to be a bloodbath in every aspect, you know, with Amen. ticket sales, business. I, I mean, they can't, I said this coming into this winter. I'm like, they can't have another dud of an off season. And, and then there they go. And it was completely self-inflicted i it's hard to imagine that they can do it again next year i but maybe they're willing to i don't know you know we've got nobody in the farm right now that that's the frustrating thing you're looking at three to four years before your next bayo type guy you know possibly emerges it's going to be that long and the other frustrating thing is you could you could have got so many guys on three or four year deals you needed two really and I guess Giolito is kind of one of those, even though it was only two. But that's what Ben Sherrington did in 2013. And who was on that team? Craig Breslow. <laughs> so he had a front row seat to how you bridge the the gap there to some of your prospects. So um, that's the frustrating thing. Let, let's get into Montgomery. So widespread reports right now, Red Sox are in contact with 
Scott Boris about Montgomery. Now, according to a Heyman report, you're not hearing a lot about other teams being connected outside of Boston and Texas. Those are the two teams. Heyman does say that the Cubs, Angels, and Giants are potentially interested, and they could be. I mean, he's a fit for all three of those teams. Notably, the Cubs are at $197 million. That's where they're at. We're at 206 now after the Liam Hendricks thing. And by the way, that's another reason you can trade Jansen because Hendricks will be ready as well. But but getting back to uh, Giolito here, um, or Jordan Montgomery rather, uh, the Cubs are at 197 million. Angels 187 million. The Giants are at 190. So he's not breaking any of their banks. He's not putting them dangerously close to the luxury tax. Those could be teams that that are in it. And again, the Red Sox are at 206. So it would be close. They're 21 million under. That's why if they get him, I think the the Jansen move is is a certainty at that point. I mean, that's the easiest money to move, really. Uh, the return might not be great, but you know, if you end up with a Montgomery type guy, I think Jordan Montgomery's strong preference is the Boston Red Sox because you know the topic that's been beat to death all winter. His wife is doing a residency program at, at one of the hospitals or whatever. And we'll be there for, I think two years. I think that's a two year program. So, um, so uh, where there's smoke, there's fire, I guess. So I can't completely rule it out. And the Red Sox have to be sick of the, the beat down they're getting. Sam Kennedy, I don't know why he even did this, but he spoke last week about how Dustin Pedroia FaceTimed him while he was having dinner with Breslow and a couple other notable people from the front office and said, you got to go after the Montgomery type guys. Like, why would Sam Kennedy like haul his own pants to the ground in front of the reporters and talk about what Dustin Pedroia is basically echoing what everyone has said all winter from the fans to the local media to the national media. So I I think there has to be a slight chance still that they do go after uh, Montgomery. But Jason, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think there's definitely a good chance. And I think what you're seeing is the, the market and the other GMs around the league are telling Scott Boris, your client's not as valuable as you think he is. Jordan Montgomery is not a six-year, $180 million pitcher, uh, I, which I think is why he's not signed because Boris is probably sitting there telling him, don't worry, someone's going to pay up, someone's going to get desperate, and they're going to pay you. I think he probably told the same thing to Cody Bellinger. I think Cody Bellinger knew months ago that he wanted to go back to the Cubs. And you know he could have probably gotten a lot more money months ago if he had signed then because his market was pretty high, or at least the estimated market was pretty high. But I think Boris instructs these guys to wait because he likes to play his little games with the market. He likes to try and drive up the prices. And I think it's starting to backfire. I think teams are just now done with his nonsense. And they're like, no, we know what, what these guys are worth. We know what Jordan Montgomery is. He's a decent 30-year-old pitcher who had one good year. We're not paying him $180 million for one good season. So bring the price down or we're not signing him. So... I think now the price probably is down on Montgomery. You might be able to get him for less than six years, less than 180, something like that. You know, maybe a more uh, appetizing deal for the Red Sox. Um, I still, I, I, I think Montgomery would be a nice signing, but I won't, I'm not going to sit here and say that he's like a huge game changer either. It, to me, he's a middle of the rotation arm. I, I, I don't see him as a top half rotation guy. I still think, you know, Bayo can be a better pitcher than him. Giolito, if he turns around, can be a better pitcher than him. Um, I'll still take it because, you know, it still stabilizes your rotation a little bit. But, like, I'd be pretty upset if the Red Sox gave him six over 180. That, to me, is too much for a guy like Jordan Montgomery. It's going to be way under that. It, it yeah, actually It's going to be way under that, indeed. It's, All right, so no looking. No looking. How many seasons? He's been pitching since 2017. So 17, 18, 19, 20, the little BS here. 
21, 22, 23. How many seasons has Jordan Montgomery gotten 10 wins or more? Two. Can't be more than two. Terry. Going back to what year? 2017. He was a pitcher for the Yankees, then the Cards, then the Rangers, obviously, 2023. I'll, I'll say just one, I guess. 2023 was his one and only year of 10 wins, and he played for the Texas Rangers. Granted, albeit small sample size, got four wins and 11 starts. Maybe he does a little bit better because in 21 starts, he only won six in St. Louis. So 10 wins, he'd gotten nine twice. That's it. Middle of the rotation guy, pretty generous. Did a little bit of research on his wife. If she's only here for two years and he only wants to spend two years here, why wouldn't you sign him for just the two years? Give him an opt-out after year one with an opportunity to make more money if that's really the goal. You match him with Giolito, I would still put Montgomery behind Giolito because I still have Giolito with that upper echelon, top-tier group if he can come back to fruition. I mean, you can't go wrong by adding Montgomery. I think adding Montgomery could potentially bring you to that 500 you know, like realm because if you don't, you're really you're not going to get there. I don't think Brian Bayo is going to make the step up in 2024 that we would all love to see him make. I think it's going to be 2025, maybe 2026, but we're going to see Brian Bayo be that super two or maybe like a low tier number one starter in your rotation. But I mean, if she's here for two years anyways, it doesn't make any sense why or, or, or a year, whatever it is. If she's here for three years, she's. She went to USC. She's doing uh, dermatology. So if it's a two-year program or a three-year program, why wouldn't you want to be close to your wife? Why wouldn't you want to help this guy be close to his wife? Like, oh, hey, we know your wife is here. We'd love to be able to connect you, you know, keep you guys here together so that it's not a long-distance thing. You guys have already had to do that before. Let's make it so that this works. You know, let, let's, let's figure this out. Let's come to the table. Let's figure out how we can get it so that you stay here and that you can – not have to visit your girlfriend or your wife every you know couple weeks because you're always traveling. I mean, this is a prime opportunity for the Red Sox to say family first, win first. You don't do it. I mean, you're not going to sign Blake Snell, not for the amount of money that he wants to get. It's just completely out of the question. There's zero chance that Blake Snell comes to Boston. Literally zero. What's less than zero, right? Negative so, 100. Sure. Done. That's the percentage that he's coming to Boston. Negative 100. Montgomery, I'm going to put it at obviously higher than that. I think there's like a 30 to 40% chance they can actually get it done. It probably won't be a pretty deal. It will not be more than two, three years at the most. And it'll be probably similar to Cody Bellinger's deal where there'll be an opt out after every year to give Jordan Montgomery the opportunity to make more money. I, I just don't realistically see him signing this ridiculous contract because you look at his numbers, they're not blow me away numbers. He's had more than 160 strikeouts twice. He's never hit 200 innings. This was the highest innings in a season output he's ever had 188 and two thirds. He's never cracked 200. He's only once had 10 wins. So Jason, you're right. He's not an elite pitcher. And I hope his expectation is not to get elite money. It won't happen. I'd love to see him come to Boston. Yeah. So I didn't go back and look it up, but every season he pitched 114 or more innings. His ERA was under four. So, I mean, he's a very stable, very consistent guy out there. Another thing he's very consistent with is he doesn't draw a ton of walks. He's never been a guy who gives up free bases. So he he wasn't my first choice. That was Yamamoto. He wasn't my second choice. That was Sonny Gray. Uh, I don't know if he was my third choice or not, but I can live with it. Initially, when the winter started, I mean, he was coming off a World Series win, of which he was a big part of in that rotation. And that's another thing I like, by the way. If you can pitch in the playoffs and you, you've you somewhat established that, we need that. I'm good with that. 
but I think his market, it started at Aaron Nola money. That's what Boris was asking for because he was, you know, World Series premium, lefty, you know, that I, that's that's where the bar was initially. I think you can get him for four years, 80 million. I think that would get it done. Nobody else is coming to the table with anything else right now. Nobody's coming to the table. Another Scott Boris guy, J.D. Martinez, they were asking seven at 210, and that's when he went off in Arizona. Hit 28 home runs in the last two months of the season. Just went off right before free agency. I thought he was going to get 210. He was like, I don't know, 29, 30 at the time. I thought he was going to get a seven-year deal worth about 210, but his market never materialized. And the Red Sox got him for five years, 110. I never saw that coming. I thought, okay, well, maybe it'll be somewhere in the middle, maybe. I didn't think it was going to be that low. He just doesn't have a market right now. And <sighs> I think we can get him for for about $20 million a year, maybe 18 a year. That would be four years, $72 million. It's not going to happen at 72. I, I think you, you, you're, it's a pipe dream at, at $20 million a year. You might be able to get 369 four for you know 92 or something but you're gonna have to incentivize it where okay cool yes we're not giving you as much money as you probably want to make but we're going to give you an opt-out after year one year two and then if you don't opt out by year two then you're locked in for year three year four something like that but i i don't think you're i don't think it's gonna happen i really don't i, I hear what you're saying but jd martinez is a unique situation yes he had 28 29 home runs in however many games it was, like 60, 65 games, whatever that was. But the guy didn't play a position. He wasn't, he wasn't a dual threat where he could hit and he could field because that was a nightmare. That was, you know, I don't want to make inappropriate jokes, but like having someone who just doesn't get it in the outfield and then he could hit the ball. And then we came to Boston, the, the, you know, the last year he was just nothing. Then he goes to LA for a year and doubles up his numbers, you know, isn't hitting doubles for the lack of a better term, but still mashing. So I think JD was a, a little bit of a unique situation. That's where I kind of like disagree with wh where you're going with that. But I just don't know how you're going to get Jordan Montgomery, especially after he just won the world series, you're going to pay a little premium there. I don't we think always so. talk about that world series premium. I think it's going to happen. He would have be been wrong. signed I'll by be the first. One he he would have been signed by now. I mean, it's going to be March in a couple of days. I, I don't think, right. Here, what here's the expectation. Here's the comp. Here's the here's the comp. Go pull up Chris Bassett's numbers. They're the same player. I'll look him up right now. He was expected six one fifty. It didn't happen. If he came out and said, "Hey, I'm looking for three seventy five," absolutely, the guy gets signed at three seventy five. I don't think so. He Jordan Jordan Montgomery isn't even Sonny Gray. I, I don't. I'm not even putting him on that level. So I. I don't see him Chris getting. Chris Bassett had a good year last year, though. I remember he did well in Toronto. Yeah, yeah he, went, he went sixteen and eight. He did great last year. Go... Chris Bassett is better than Jordan Montgomery. And what's what's he getting this year? He got a, a three-year, sixty-three million dollar deal. That's it. Okay, cool. So he's a better pitcher, and that was last <laughs> year. Did not win the World Series. I just I don't so, think that's so... a thing. I if the if the World Series premium was real, I think he's signed in December at the latest. I really believe that. I could be completely wrong. The the team I could be completely wrong. The team that was so critical in acquiring him and winning that World Series isn't even bringing him back. They're not even jumping on it. Uh, so I don't. I just don't see it. And he could go to Texas. Don't get me wrong, but like I said, it's almost March. I, I hear what you're saying, but I really, I really think he wants to be close to his his partner. I don't think he wants to play away from her. So I think. The Red Sox may be able to reap the benefits of, oh, but your wife is here. Would you want to stay close to your wife? Like, I'm sure that's going to play a small part in the negotiation. But I, I mean, realistically, 18 million, I, I just don't see it. Had he not won the World Series, sure. Sure, 354, get it done, sign here. Thanks for coming. We'll see you March 1. You know? But I... It's it's just like that that realistic struggle that there's always been that World Series premium. There's it's always happened. 
Like the Boston Red Sox fell for it so many times for players in the past. Oh, you got to the World Series. You must be really good. You can get there. And you're absolutely right. Players that could pitch in the po- uh, players that could pitch and do damage in the postseason have that little extra tier on them. Uh, you know, you could do something that a lot of pitchers can't do. He did well in the championship series, got rocked in the World Series. Didn't even get a strikeout in his game. So I don't remember. I don't know if you remember that. But he did he, have he one bad great. start in there. I, I remember. That World Series game was bad. It was bad. But it was he, really bad. Overall, I mean, it was still a pretty good month for him. Stellar. Overall, yeah. stellar. It was, it was a blip in the, in the World Series. I, I just, you know, I think honestly, I'll I'll say maybe he doesn't get twenty three million. Maybe you're looking at three at sixty total. I just can't get down to eighteen million per year. I don't think I could do it. Yeah, I think, I, I, like I said, you know, twenty a year for four years. That's four years eighty. I, I think that's, I think that's close. I think. But Jason, what what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, I I, I would definitely take him four over eighty. I think would be fine. Um, the other issue too is sure the Red Sox can play the whole proximity game. You know, well, you know, your wife's doing a residency here. You'll be close for whatever. Um, if the Giants offer him twenty million dollars more, twenty extra million dollars makes that honey. We have to do the long distance thing again. Conversation pretty easy. So I don't. I, you can play the proximity game a little bit, but eventually it comes down to money. Um, so if the Giants swoop in and offer him, you know, five over one twenty, you know, and the Red Sox are sitting there with four over eighty, he's going to take the five over one twenty. Um, you know, and so, okay, I'll see you when I see you, honey. But you know, here's here's an extra pile of cash to make up for it. Um, so the Red Sox really just have to play the market smart. They they have to give him the number that I think he deserves, which is right around that three over sixty or four over eighty range. I still think it's a little bit high, but okay, I get it. Um, but just don't don't chase it too much. You know, if the Giants swoop in and they want to give him, you know, over a hundred million, let them have him because again, I just Jordan Montgomery is not going to make you, you know, you, you can't pencil the Red Sox in for the ALCS if you sign Jordan Montgomery. It's not that big of a fix. He's a decent pitcher, but at the end of the day, you know, mid-rotation guy. And I, I do worry about him, like, pitching in a big market. You know, the Yankees got rid of him, I think, because they felt like he couldn't hack it in New York. Um, went to St. Louis, was okay there, was good in Texas, but... Boston, New York, those are tough places for, for pitchers, and especially when your pitcher signs a lucrative contract. So I worry about his makeup for Boston. It's the same reason I don't want Blake Snell here. Blake Snell would melt in the city of Boston. He has no shot. That guy is a mental midget if I've ever seen one. So he would not be able to cut it in Boston. I don't think he'd be able to cut it in New York either. I'm surprised the Yankees are interested in him. Um, but, yeah, I, I worry a little bit about the makeup too. So, um We'll see what ends up happening with him. If if the Red Sox do sign him for four over eighty, I'm not going to be enraged about it. But I'm also not going to like you know go dancing in the street about it. It's it's just okay. It's another guy, decent pitcher, helps your rotation a bit. But you know I don't look at him as like the savior. I'll take the consistency. I mean that's the big selling point for me. And he, his numbers in New York weren't bad. I, I just think the knock on him is the, the strikeouts just aren't there. I mean, when Domingo Herman was rolling and, and he had a couple of decent years, there wasn't a lot to really differentiate between him and, and Jordan Montgomery. I mean, they, they were giving you similar results. And, and Montgomery landed on a Texas team with a really robust offense and he was just able to do his thing while the offense did their thing. And and it worked out well for all of them. And this Red Sox rotation just needs stability. I mean, I don't think Nick Pavetta wouldn't have been coveted by anybody last year. I don't think at at the deadline. I mean, he, he was you know, he was on his way to kind of fixing it, you know, the, the slider developed, but, um, but it's just tough to, to feel stable still with, with a guy like Pavetta in the rotation, you put Montgomery in there, you know what you're getting and he's, he's going to be healthy. And, you know, if Giolito can, you know, mostly get back to where he was at. I, I think even with Bayo, if he takes a half a step forward, 
He's going to end the year with 14, 15 wins, an ERA probably in the upper threes, but under four, I think, you know, a half a step forward. He, he had a bad September. That's what it, that's what it was last year. And his day night splits were insane. I mean, he couldn't pitch, you know, when the, when the sun was up, pitched just fine at night. So we'll see, but I think Bayo's going to have a pretty good year. And I, I didn't see his pitching line today, but they did a split squad game, and apparently he had a very good outing over a couple he, innings. He pitched, I think, two innings, or no. Yeah, he pitched two innings, three strikeouts, 33 pitches. I don't think he gave up a hit. He walked Matt Olson, and that, that was his only blemish. And again, like, he was going up against E.K. Albies, went up against Acuna, like, the meat of the Braves lineup and was really efficient. So yeah, the line looked really good. I'm not, if I'm worried about anything with Bayo, it, it would probably be his, his elbow or, or forearm. That That's all I'm really worried about there. You know, I, I think he will continue to move forward. And also apparently he gave a quote a few days ago that they're pretty close to an extension. Like w- apparently with Casas, they're way off, but with Bayo, he there was some optimism there, so um, I'm not I'm not really worried about about Bayo. I'm more worried about Giolito, quite frankly. So we'll see what happens. But um, so the last thing before we wrap, Breslow said today um, he was kind of hanging out with the beat writers apparently, and um, you know gave some comments to Rob Bradford from WEI. And said, you know, 24 hours after the Bellinger signing, there's no real, it doesn't seem like the momentum has changed for Montgomery. So, um, so that's kind of where Breslow is at right now. It's tough to, tough to know if they're, if they're really interested, but hopefully (laughs) we're all hoping because like I said, you, you got Giolito, you got Bayo. You've got uh, potentially Montgomery and then Pavetta. I'm not even worried about the five hole at that point because they will figure that out. They they will figure that out. It's going to be Crawford. It's going to be Hauk. You know, it. it's a lot easier to figure out one spot in your rotation than it is two. And there's a lot less pressure involved with the players you know, when, when it's a lot more stable. So final thoughts before we wrap. Um, the only thing I would say is that, you know, that, that scenario you just painted of, you know, you slot in Montgomery, Pavetta's your four. I like Crawford as the five. And again, this is me. You guys know, I've always been, how can Whitlock are not starters to me, to me. I, I think they're both belong in the bullpen. I know your bullpen strong right now, but um, I'm kind of feeling something's going on with Crawford. That, you know, you pair him with Andrew Bailey, I think he can now take that next step as, you know, not just being a swing guy, not just being a good, you know, sometimes starter. He can actually take a step forward and um, they can actually have a decent back end starter out of him. So um, that's that's where I would go. If I were them, I, I would like to see more of Cutter Crawford this spring and, and going into the season. I think him working with Bailey, um, they can really unlock something there. I'm personally not a huge Crawford guy, but if we get Montgomery, I'll I'll ride it out. If if yeah, you know, go ahead, Charlie. We're gonna have to yeah, we're gonna have to ride it out one way or the other, my friend. Um, I am on the opposite. I want to see how in the starting rotation. I don't want to see him in the bullpen. I really want to see them stretch him out and see him do his thing in the rotation. I have said it before already in the past. I have to give Breslow a little bit of time. You have to give him a little bit of leash. He's He's done okay so far. Um, not great by any stretch of the imagination, but I mean, it's still way too early. Like we we gave Hein Bloom a lot more time, and while we probably don't want to villainize, you know, him completely, we still gave him a long, long leash and for multiple years. So I I, I want to enjoy the, the fact that we just won back to back games today against two decent teams, including the Braves, who are arguably one of the best in the national league, maybe the second best team in the national league. Um, Let's just see what happens. You know, I, I'm not a Crawford guy per se, similar to you, Terry, but you know, we're just going to see what happens to start this year. We have a lot of things that we need to kind of work out and and kind of just patiently wait to see what happens. 
Let me make this point. I meant to do it earlier. So we've mentioned in recent episodes, the Vegas odds are at 80 and a half. That's where they've set the over under. I think at least a couple of us will agree. That's a little high. You know, I think it's a little low, but let's just say face value. Let's just say that's where it at. And for what it's worth, Vegas was on the money last year, 78 and a half, and they won 78. So let's just take 80 and a half at face value. Okay. I think Montgomery adds five and not just on his own performance, just by stabilizing that rotation, just by helping us avoid musical chairs in, in the, in the four and five slots with Crawford, Hauk, Whitlock, possibly Winkowski. So if you can avoid the whole musical chairs thing and just stabilize it with Montgomery, I think that adds five wins. And I think if the offense overperforms a little bit, if you get if Trevor Story bounces back just a little bit, if if Tyler O'Neill can give you enough flashes from 2021, and then Vaughn Grissom is the guy we hope he is, I think that could add another five beyond that. So now you're at 90. So that's how critical to me this whole Jordan Montgomery thing is in terms of stability. Uh, you know. My tune will change if that signing happens. I think it's fair. I, I think adding a stable pitcher like him definitely adds a few wins. I, you know, is it five? Is it more like three or four? I don't know. But if that does get you over 81, you know, you, you're over 500 for the season, you know, that's sniffing wildcard territory. So that's never a bad thing. All right, so we will wrap on that. I am, uh, we, I think we have locked down the ladies' night episode, so that'll be recorded Wednesday night for a Thursday morning release. So um, it'll get recorded one way or the other Wednesday night. But I should say, if if anything does occur, any major developments that could uh, it, it could at least uh, delay the release of it. But it will be. Uh, it will be released shortly one way or the other. Everyone have a good start to your work week. Take care.